This is Dr. James Crosby, Head of Sustainability at Advantage Utilities. I'd like to ask, could your organisation be more of an energy sector hero? Are you interested in improving your sustainability as a business? Well, now you can obtain the expert view and guidance on renewable energy solutions, on-site generation, carbon accounting, and sophisticated grid energy purchasing options through Advantage Utilities. Our team of experts use the latest tools to better analyse, track and reduce your organisation's energy usage and carbon emissions. To find out how Advantage Utilities can become your one-stop shop for all your energy and sustainability needs, please visit www.advantageutilities.com or give one of our passionate and friendly team a call on 0208-131-4747. Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week, I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. My guest today is Bill Lagan. Bill is an incredible vice president uh, of Shell, mainly focusing on exploration, covering the North America and, and Brazil. Bill, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thanks, Michelle. And thanks for the opportunity to contribute to your podcast. It's, it's a fantastic effort to really bring out the personalities of different people in our industry. So, yeah, as Michelle mentioned, my name is Bill Langen. I'm the Senior Vice President for Deepwater Exploration at Shell, which covers, as, as Michelle said, North America and Brazil, and uh, recently added West Africa into my remit. So quite busy, always um, have lots of activity in, in, in different opportunities that we're evaluating in drilling. I've been with Shell for just under 20 years. It's been an exciting career and I hope to share some of those stories with you today. So how did you get started off in the energy sector? I, I did an undergraduate major in, in geology and after my third year I had the opportunity to intern with Schlumberger in West Texas in their uh, wireline logging division. That was a great experience and I really appreciated the field experience that brought, but that was in the summer of 1998 when oil prices dropped down below $10 a barrel. And what we saw was quite a bit of impact to staff and and their families because of the low oil price. So when I got back to university for my final year, I got some advice from the faculty there to go ahead and, and, and do an advanced degree, either a master's or a PhD in order to get in with an operating company and be less subject to some of the ups and downs of the industry. So that appealed to me strongly. So as I was finishing my last year of my bachelor's degree, I applied for PhD programs um, and ended up doing a geophysics concentration at Cornell. And ultimately, uh, when I completed the PhD, I joined Shell in 2003 in New Orleans. Do you think that having a PhD has helped you in your career? For me personally, it's been really impactful. And, and I don't think, and I tell this to a lot of the, the um, bachelor students that I mentor, 
it's not really the piece of paper that's important. It's the knowledge you gain in the sense of inquiry that you get while doing the PhD that I think, if used correctly, can really help you get ahead. And the example I'll give from my own career is because of the more detailed study that was required by the PhD, there have been a few times when I was able to question the underlying theories on how we were acquiring or processing seismic data or how we were analyzing some of the different information around our oil and gas prospects and, and actually make improvements to either the geophysics and the way we, we, we process, acquired and process data or the way we thought about the analysis of that data uh, from a geological perspective because I had had more detailed math, physics, and, and, and geology training. And, and so it was really the application of that, that knowledge and, and the mindset of constant inquiry that really helped me in the early part of my career when I was focused on technical work, um, I would say get ahead. Um, so it's been hugely impactful in my career. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you mentioned before that you had mentioned some junior engineers and graduates previously. Have you ever had a mentor during your career and what was the most important thing that they taught you? I've been so fortunate throughout my career to have numerous deeply impactful mentors, but I think the the first one was probably the most impactful. So when I joined Shell, I was immediately assigned a, a technical coach or, or technical mentor to to really help translate the academic experience into the applied part of geology and geophysics. And he was almost like a sports coach for me, where he would regularly come in and, and, and give me assignments and check how I was doing, and but also critique quite strongly my performance on, okay, was the analysis strong enough? Was Did I appreciate the uncertainties? Did I look deeply enough at all of the different aspects? But most importantly, was the answer I was given him consistent with all the different data sets? And, and, and so I, I tell a lot of my young geologists and engineers. When, when I was going through school as a, as a child, we had the, the word problems and they, at the end they say, does your answer make sense? And, and, and he really taught me to think about not just doing a calculation and giving an answer. It's like, okay, I've done a calculation. Does the answer make sense with all the other geologic data, engineering data that's available? And, and is it consistent with the other elements at hand and, and really teaching you to not just do an analysis, but to think more broadly was absolutely crucial. And I, I carry that with me to this day. Okay, thank you. What is the most challenging thing about your current role and how do you handle it? Oh, that, that, that's a great one, Michelle. I, I deeply love the technical part of our industry. I, you know, I, uh, I put so much time and effort into my academic studies, into the geology and geophysics. So, you know, probably eight years of, of academic training and then another eight years of, of really detailed technical work, the first part of my career. So for, you know, 16, 17 years of my life, I really called myself a, a geophysicist and, and prided myself on, on that being, you know, who I was. But as I evolved through different leadership aspects, realizing that one, my practicing of geophysics and my ability to, you know, engage deeply on that subject, you know, gets rusty over time. And there are people who are studying the data for 
you know, their, their regular job many hours a day over several weeks or several months to give an answer. And sometimes I find myself in a, in a presentation where I'll see one PowerPoint slide with a seismic line or one geophysical analysis, really trying to dive into the details of the geophysics, only to realize that the staff that are presenting has spent a lot more time on this and have a lot more recent practicing of their trade than I have. And so it's really um, deeply learning to deeply trust the talented people that work for me on their capability and how they think about things without having to go into a lot of detail so that they feel valued and, 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 and trusted in the way they do their work. Because I, I really enjoy those conversations, but sometimes those aren't the most important aspect of what's happening. So finding the right balance between that technical inquiry, trust, support, and recognition, and then actually making the broader integrated decisions that I have to now in my role. Sometimes I, I don't get that balance quite right. Okay, thank you. How does your current role compare to your aspirations as a young boy? Oh, wow. Um well, it, it's interesting. So as, as, as growing up and in, in going through secondary school, I, I really always thought about um, under, understanding the earth and materials in a, in a better fashion. So ultimately, making my way into the oil and gas industry feels not a natural continuation from what I was interested in in secondary school. But when I started with Shell in, in 2003, my aspiration was probably to be the best geophysicist in my Gulf of Mexico work group of say 120 people, not necessarily to be the, a senior vice president. And it's only through sort of as I realize the potential at each different level and my horizons expand and I get some confidence that I can take a step up or contribute more broadly that I've, you know, aspired for more. So um, at the moment, um, I'm deeply satisfied with my role because uh, I tell my groups that the group do the groups leading Shell's exploration efforts um, right now probably determine the longevity of upstream oil and gas exploration in Shell because if you think about where we are as a as a global community, once we find resource, it typically takes us five to ten years just to start developing it, and the field produces for for 15 to 20 years. So we're talking about the 30 year time horizon. And I think most people believe that we'll have a variety of energy sources that we'll be able to harness by the same time that 2050 comes around and that will probably begin at least to a phased out exploration. So I, I think, you know, we are one of the last groups of explorers that will make an impact to the use of, of oil and gas as a fundamental energy source. And I'm, I'm inspired by that mission. Thank you. Is there anything that you still want to achieve in your career? Oh, wow. Absolutely. I, I, from, I, I'm 20 years in and, and still feel like I've got a lot to contribute. So first and foremost, I, I want to set up Shell and our, our shareholders and our partners uh, for future success and, and whatever that means in the different environments in which we work. And maybe I'll, I'll start most recently with... Um, some of our partners in, in Namibia, where we've had a nice discovery uh, last year, we had the opportunity to completely change the lives of the Namibian population, where 40% of the people don't have reliable access to power. The government doesn't have the revenue to modernize all of the infrastructure and to put in, in place modern social support programs for, for quite a bit of the population that needs it. 
and, and, if, and so my group is, is currently evaluating the total resource potential that we've discovered in, in hopes that we can make it economically viable, not just for us, but for the people of Namibia, our, our partners and the ventures we have, and, and, and ultimately help, help that country improve the life of its people. Because if you take, if you look at statistics, countries where the population doesn't have reliable access to power, the average life expectancy can be anywhere from 10 to 15 years less than the rest of the world. And, and one of the things that inspires me is if we can bring that reliable access to power, we can actually make a massive impact to the quality of life and, and, and lifespan of people. So quite a few countries of the world where we're working where, where I think Shell can play a big part of that. And, and to me, that's a lasting contribution. I think, secondly, because of all of the positive mentoring I've had throughout my career, whether it's the early technical mentoring, some of the leadership mentoring I've had throughout my own leadership journey, and now some of the broader business mentoring that I get, I've always had really good people to help me continue to develop. And, and so I spend well, probably 30 to 40% of my time with different indiv- with individuals trying to help them in their own journey in whatever stage they're at. And, and for me, if I can help someone take a step in their professional career, it's not just career changing, but in some aspects, it can be life changing for people if they get the right opportunity and all of a sudden they have a career trajectory that they didn't necessarily see before. So I, I really enjoy the aspect of, of coaching and, and, and developing and ultimately helping people achieve um, their potential and their goals. That sounds amazing. It's, it feels very rewarding when you see it, I'll say. It would be. It would be. It sounds an amazing, an amazing initiative. I just wondered, Shell is a, is a hugely successful organization and you must get hundreds of thousands of applications every year for people wanting to come and work for you. What would your advice be to anybody that wanted to be a successful hire in Shell? What kind of skills, experience do you look for? Even at a junior level, if you're someone's coming in as a graduate or a senior? I think what we really look for in, in our graduates is, I say, we, you know, we have to have baseline fundamental skills in some sort of engineering or geoscience discipline. So, so you know, do really well in, in university and in, in, in your core academics in, in one of those either engineering or, or geoscience disciplines. But then the way I think people stand out best is they they do their homework on the biggest challenges that we face as an industry, and not just as Shell, but as you know, as an energy industry altogether. And so, whether it's continued exploration and development of, of hydrocarbon-based resources, whether it's carbon capture, uh, utilization, and storage, and finding ways to, to decarbonize our hydrocarbon resources or whether it's even applying earth sciences and engineering to other sources of energy. People stand out in, in their purpose statement in their interviews when they actually talk about how they would seek to apply their academic training to the problems we face and, and have, have spent some time on understanding that. So from a graduate perspective. Um, for the leadership roles that are sort of on my team and, and maybe one level below, um, I've really evolved my thinking recently and, and because I've come to deeply value diversity of thought and, 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 and deep inclusion within my staff. And so most recently, I've stopped thinking about the best person for the job and I think about the best person for our team. 
And, and what that really means is each team is made up of individuals with varied, not just technical skill sets, but leadership skill sets and, and, and personalities. And the problems we face are so hard that it truly takes teams to, to bring out successful opportunities. And so every time we hire a leadership role for my team, we look at, okay, what are the existing both technical leadership and, and personality skill sets on, on my team? And how do we best complement that with a person who has the baseline capability, but can also bring some new diverse thoughts and, and opinions on the team? And I've seen my team deliver amazing things by being open and, and harnessing each other. And I'm deeply committed to continuing that aspect of, of, of hiring in the future. No, that sounds amazing advice. Thank you. Because I do think that having the right fit for your team is, is vitally important. Obviously, your skills and experience of what you can bring to the table is also important. But if you don't have a, if you don't have the correct fit for your team where everybody can work together quite well, then it could all fall apart. Yes. And I, I think I've seen too many times in industry where we have the singular genius who, who we, we keep enabling because they have a very specific, say, technical skill, but they're actually detrimental to team performance. And, and, and ultimately, we, we seldom succeed when we allow that to go on for too long. So there may be some deeply research-focused roles by which that works. But as I mentioned before, the problems we face require different technical disciplines, different creative solutions if we're to be successful. And, and I haven't seen many times throughout my nearly 20 years in which deeper technical knowledge was what ultimately unlocked the project. It was thinking differently or someone feeling courageous and offering a creative solution that others might have more easily dismissed. And, and, and so for me, I'm, yeah, I, I think this is the way, the way of the future for us. Yeah, I think so too. Have you encountered any career disasters and have you, how, how have you handled them? Oh, yes. So I, I, I actually believe we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes if we take the time to learn from them. I can, I can give you a, a few examples, some technical and, and some on maybe the, the leadership and, and people space. I think the first four deep water wells that I was in charge of, of, of drilling were dry holes. Um, and, and this was at a time in which, you know, each of these wells cost the company, uh, you know, from a cost to drill a few hundred million dollars. And so I, I said, I was in the hole quite strongly before I began to positively contribute. Now, obviously, these opportunities were worked by a team and recommended by people much more senior than me at the time. But I was in charge of actually executing the operations on the, on the wells from the geoscience side. And, but the last one in particular was a was well in the Gulf of Mexico that we had high confidence in, but still turned out to be very different from the opportunity we, we proposed. And it really told me that before we drill the well and, and, and actually get hard subsurface data, the seismic we look at and the well data we have is really just, it, it, you know, small parts of the overall model. So we need to really be creative in, in the way we allow ourselves to envision what, what could be below us. And so I, I, I was part of a team and, and led an effort based on the outcomes of the last two wells to deeply improve the way we did seismic imaging in the Gulf. And, and so we could learn from the way we thought about an opportunity ahead of time to why we acquired the seismic and processed it and, and interpreted it the way we did to what could we do to get much, much better data 
and in a cost-effective way ahead of drilling wells. And it wasn't sort of shying away from the failures. It was embracing them and, and, and learning from them in a technical sense. And then how do we do it in a cost-effective manner? And that required collaborating within my seismic interpretation community, the geophysics community, and with two external companies that were um, helping us do the seismic acquisition. So I, I think really embracing those technical failures and, and learning from them is crucial. I think the second one I'll cite is I was fortunate enough to be given a, a role in Australia when Shell and British Gas merged in 2016. And, and, and that role was outside of exploration and even outside of subsurface. It was very much focused on producing gas and, and overseeing the production of wells and gas processing plants and ultimately the export of, of, of gas to an LNG plant and into the local market. So completely focused on operations and, and engineering. So something well outside my, my training to that point. But Shell has always had this deeply technical focus in order to get sort of credibility within your sphere. You had to sort of try to prove your, you understood the the deeply technical elements, except for I was at the GF general manager level. So I didn't, I wasn't doing any of the engineering myself. I wasn't turning any valves. I wasn't operating any gas plants. I was just, I was leading, but instead I focused my, my early part of that role on trying to, you know, develop technical credibility rather than leading with purpose. And I wasn't clear to the organization on what my purpose and values were that could guide them when they had ambiguity in their own decisions. And so I, I wasn't open enough on my focus on safe performance. I wasn't focused, say, um, open enough on my focus on cost performance and what I expected and how I wanted to enable them to make decisions. I was too focused on building my technical credibility at a leadership level. So one of my pieces of advice to all new leaders is you don't have to come in and, and be the technical expert on what the team does, but you do need to set the principles by which you expect the team to deliver. So for me, that's something that I always focus on in every new role that I get. Okay, thank you. What is your zone of genius? What are you most good at? Oh, wow. <laughs> what do I... For me, I think if I was to say what is, what's my strength... I've you know, in, in my current state of my career, and I won't, I won't say it in my role, I have a probably very loose attachment to the way we do things. So I understand that we have a lot of processes and systems and software to help us with all of our technical analyses. But ultimately, my, I, I think my, my job is to make the best decisions. And, and sometimes the this tried and true processes don't necessarily lend themselves to making the decision in the way we need to make it. And, and so I think one of the things I, I'm good at is asking my teams to step back for a minute and, and, and decide if the standard way we do things is actually helping us make the best decision. And if not helping them shape the types of analysis and the types of data or you know, the decision frame that we want to make. It's to the point, I think, where some of my teams know when they come to me, they, one of the first questions they ask is, you know, are you happy with the way we're making this decision? Not um, necessarily am I happy with the, what the data shows? Because I think too often we, it, it's easier to follow a process and, and come out with the results and then say, oh, I'm not quite sure that we're there rather than step back and say, actually, the process doesn't work for this decision. Let's, let's change it a little bit. Okay. How would you describe your typical working week? 
Um, I'm fairly regimented. I like structure to the way I work. I, I do better when I have um, that structure. So I'm, I'm typically an early person and I like to, I'm, I'm an early riser. I get up and, and spend some time in the gym to clear my head before I start the day. And I, I put my headphones on and I, I don't typically do so much interaction. So it's both my physical and, and, and mental preparation for the day. So I'm, I'm typically in the gym about 5 a.m. With for about an hour workout, home, shower, see my two boys off to school, and then out the door by about seven most days, and then start in the office about 7.30. And then usually spend the mornings interfacing with my teams that are in, in Europe because it's still a core part of their day. So I have a, a, a few teams in Europe, so I devote the mornings to them, usually virtually, obviously. And then as we get closer to the middle of the day in the US in the afternoons, things switch more to focus on North America and in Brazil, which are the similar time zones. I would say it's probably split about two thirds in individual conversations with people. And that could be with my general managers beneath me on how things are going within their organization or their operations. It could be with some of the junior engineers and scientists on coaching and mentoring. But anyway, I would say two thirds in, in more individual conversations on whatever they need from me. And then more one third in, in larger meetings where we're either making a bigger decision or contributing to a bigger decision that one of the other vice presidents might be involved in. So and so, yes, I, I, I enjoy going to the office, even in this more virtual environment. So I typically spend Monday to Thursday in, in the office. And then I do take the opportunity to work from home on Fridays and have a bit more casual opportunity there. So, yeah, for me, structure, a lot of individual interactions, where seeing where I can help. And then a few of the more, uh, I'll say, typical bigger meetings. Okay, excellent. In your working environment, who do you depend on the most? Wow. I have a phenomenal team and some phenomenal people that I really use as sounding boards for, for many decisions. So I think if you, my, my, my team of five general managers beneath me are all excellent and, and I, I deeply value the way they work within their groups. I also have an excellent finance manager who I use as really a business decision sounding board because I think a lot of times they're a nice real real world counter to some of the more subsurface focused decisions that the explorers have to take. And so they bring a nice alternative viewpoint. And then I've got a strategy and portfolio advisor that she can really honestly portray the quality of an opportunity versus other things in the portfolio. So if we're, you know, on any given opportunity that the teams might be bringing forward, we can place it in its global context and see how, how confident we are in its value and, and portrayal. So, and then I have also three peer vice presidents who I, you, you know, we, we work as a team within Shell's greater deep water business to look at how we bring forward the next opportunity sets that, could contribute to our cash flow in the future. So I feel exceptionally blessed with the people around me. So it's hard to say <laughs> to limit that to just a few because we have a quite quite a talented group. Yeah, it sounds like you have quite an amazing group around you, actually. I, I enjoy my days because of the people and because of the problems are interesting. But the people, it just uh, it's so easy to, to ask for help. That's amazing. I'm glad you have that support system within your within your organization. What motivates you to keep going when things get tough? 
For me personally, I have, I'm married and I have two boys. And one of the things that I always want to make sure is that they have the right opportunities and a stable life for them. And in my career, Chell has always been very complimentary to what I wanted for my family. Chell is a, an organization where, you know, we, it is a family in Chell. And I'll say, honestly, in 20 years, I've probably been in the office less than 10 times on a weekend. If I'm in town and not traveling, we have dinner as a family every single night. And my career can can complement that really well. Shell isn't one of these, you know, high pressure, long hours in the office type of companies. You can really make it work with with the consistency of family values and what the company needs. So, so for me, when when things get tough, it's it, you know I can always come home and, and have dinner with the family, and say, hey, things aren't, aren't going great, and. Now they might not understand the technical aspects or the operational aspects, but they're they're there to to pick me up and, and to say, you know, thanks, Dad, for for what you do. And then, you know, when I go to work the next day, you know, maybe it's a, a little bit brighter, and I'll find whoever it is to you know confide in and say, hey, I'm I'm thinking about this tough problem, but I'm not making the progress I want. What what do you think? And there's no shortage of people I would trust to, to help me in, in, in thinking through those things. And it's just, I've got some people that give me great insight to staff issues. I've got others that are phenomenal and technical issues. And it always comes out as what's best for the company in those conversations. So um, yeah, after 20 years, having those deep relationships with the company, I've probably got two hands worth of <laughs> so 10, 10 different people I feel like I could call uh, and, and, and get some time that could help pick me up if I needed it. No, that sounds amazing. I just wondered, you've had an amazing career to date, and it's only been 20 years in. I just wondered, as a young graduate, did you ever think that you would achieve vice president? No, <laughs> never. I'm a person who... If I say I want to achieve something, I, I want to be able to say why and, and speak intelligently about it. So I always felt like I could probably talk confidently about maybe two organizational levels above me. So as a graduate, I had a team leader and then a general manager. And so yeah, I thought, okay, if, I, if I'm really good, maybe 10 years in, I could be a team leader because most of our team leaders have 10 to 15 years experience. And then most of our general managers are probably 20 years experience. And, you know, but I, you know, I got to see the vice president twice a year when I was a graduate, you know, and maybe some big meeting or a staff engagement, but I had no idea the types of problems they got involved in or how they made decisions or, you know, what, what their focus was. And so I, I didn't even know if that's something I wanted to do. So that the, the title was never the draw for me. For me, it was about having the opportunity to, to confidently say, I think I can do that job well based on my skills, experience, leadership, whatever it was. So it's only been as I've achieved different levels in the company that I'll look up a level or two and say, that actually seems like something I, I want to do or not. So so for me, I, I need a bit of confidence that I know <laughs> what, what the role or what, what the level does before I say, I think I can do that. And, and so I'm not one who just aspires to a title. It takes some understanding of what that really means for me to say, yes, I want to do that. Okay. That's an honest answer. Thank you very much. Hmm. I just wondered if you could turn back time, would you change anything? Ooh, 
not a Michelle career. It's, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I, I think from the time starting in New Orleans to moving to Houston after Hurricane Katrina, well, well, again, a personal challenge from a career perspective, it was amazing. Then I had the opportunity to work in our unconventional gas group out of Pittsburgh. It was an amazing experience there. And then went to Oman, you know, was able to settle into a culture completely different and enjoy that then to Australia and back. And I think each, each assignment has brought, you know, professional development, definitely personal challenge that I think made me better in the end, but also a family experience that, you know, they'll take with them forever. And I think, you know, my, my children are better off having lived outside their culture. And now they deeply understand that, you know, if you treat people with respect, you can get along with just about anybody. <laughs> um, and, and so I think the impact of that total career on them will be something that will benefit for a long time. It's amazing advice. Thank you. One final question. What advice would you give anybody that's wanting to have a career in the oil industry? Hmm. I think what I talk to my young graduates now is to see yourself as, as an energy professional. And, and that might include oil and gas and, and it might not. There are lots of fundamental math, physics, chemistry and engineering skills that can be translated to many, many different aspects of our industry. And I think, you know, for me personally, sort of letting go of that geophysicist identity to become an energy leader was one of the hardest things because you put so much time and effort into that technical training that, you, you know, you, you doubt yourself on whether you have the safety leadership skills or the business leadership skills that you learn on the job or the project management skills that you might learn as part of the job to be competitive for other roles outside that very focused concentration you might have done in your in your bachelor's degree and what you might have started in the company with. And so I, I said, become really good at your initial concentration because that's how you get noticed and that's how you succeed. So if you come in as a mechanical engineer, become really good at being a mechanical engineer in the industry and then look to broaden outside of that because you have to establish that baseline credibility, but be confident in the supporting skill sets around project management, safety, leadership, and, and the other elements as, as and, and take small steps to complement, you, you know, your existing focus. And then if you're given the opportunity to step completely outside and embrace it because you'll become a better professional no matter what. So if you go back to your concentration, you'll be better having had a broader experience and if, if you like stepping out, you might be given even a, a bigger leadership role. And that's that's basically what's happened to me throughout my career. And I've, I've enjoyed it. So I've gone from putting together, I call it seismic puzzles, to project puzzles now to, you know, whole country puzzles. And, and I think, you know, solving those problems and, and seeing the positive results that can impact both the company and, and shareholders and our stakeholders and, and the people become something that, you know, I, I really enjoy. Excellent. Excellent advice. Okay. That's all the questions I have for today. I would like to thank Bill for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. 
That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.